of the pastors here. And as you look around, you'll notice we, we have a lack of space, which uh, is a great thing. Uh, so just to, to give you a heads up, we're still working on negotiations to get that area over there. Uh, we're going to then move the kids to that area, tear down this wall, so we're going to have a lot more space. So it's going to be tight for a little while, but we can do it for a little while. So uh, love those people around you because you're going to be close to them for just, just a few more weeks, maybe a couple months. Um, but what's exciting is, is God has brought us back together. Uh, God is doing great things, and it's neat to be part of uh, what he's doing. So any, any hockey fans in here? Just curious. Some hockey fans? Where's Zach? Oh, there's Zach. Zach's a big hockey player. Uh, uh, anybody remember 1980? 1980... Uh, Winter Olympics, yeah, USA Hockey. It, it was a, a team of college-age kids, basically, uh, you, you know, young men. They went in, in USA Hockey, into the Olympics, total underdogs, not expected to win. They go up against the Soviet Union. Maybe, maybe some of us remember this. I was one, so. But I've seen the movie. Um, but these college kids, they go in to play Soviet Union, who hadn't lost in 12 years uh, in an Olympic game. They were by far the favorites. They had the all-stars. They were the best. And our team goes in and beats the, the Soviet Union, going on then to beat Finland for the gold medal. Really cool story. But the question I kind of had, you know, I've seen the movie and whatever, and I was preparing this, is how could a team like that go beat a team of all-stars? But yet it happens quite frequently. Quite, I mean, you can read and look up the stories of, of teams that win championships or that are very successful that don't have a lot of all-stars <laughs> because they play together as a team, because they, they're not out for themselves. You know, sometimes the worst thing you can do is get a team of all-stars, and they just want to shine, rather than a team of people committed to the mission, committed to winning, and then playing as a team. I, I bring that up because we're talking about the church, and the church... We have a mission. Now, when it comes to sports, the mission is fairly easy. Beat the other team. Win the game. But as a church, what is our mission? What are we called to be about as Christians? Now, we have actually a, a book in the back. I'll probably refer to it later. Uh, the Church, Cruise Ship or Battleship. And this is a pamphlet we put together just kind of to talk about what the church is to be about. And, and the, the title kind of lays it out. And David Manser did this graphic, which is really cool. Uh, but are we a cruise ship? Meaning we're just all here hanging out with each other. A lot of times the church can become that. We come for us because the music is good. The sermon is okay. You know, we like some of the people. Or are we part of a mission? Like, like a battleship is going to do something. My father-in-law right here is Doug, and he was in the Navy, and he had quite a few carrier landings in, in Vietnam. And we've talked about life on an aircraft carrier. Rhiannon, too, served on an aircraft carrier. And, and both of them have shared stories. Oh, and another. Submarine, similar thing. Yeah, imagine being in a submarine, and only 20% of anybody in the submarine is doing anything. What? Yeah, right, right. What? <laughs> well, well, that's kind of the idea. So as a church, we actually have a mission. You know, I mean, what's our purpose? We talk about this often. And really, thank you, Hannah, you know, for, for paying attention and listening and, and supporting what I say. But, but, I mean, what are we called to as Christians? Primarily to love and worship God, really. You know, what's the greatest commandment? That you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus said eternal life is that you know God. So if our main purpose is to know and love God in relationship, can't we do that better face-to-face? 
So if that was really what we were to be about only, then we should like, you know, pray the salvation prayer and then fall over dead and get to go be with him. So, so why has he left us here? Uh, I mean, our primary purpose is still to worship, to know him and to love him. Absolutely. But why are we still here? What's our mission? To expand the kingdom of God in our lives and the world around us. You'll, you'll find that on that, that board in the back. But that's our mission here at Common Ground. That's the way we say the Great Commission. Now, any church who's a biblical church is going to have the same mission statement, basically. But they're going to say it in their own way of the Great Commission, meaning go make disciples of all nations, Jesus said. Meaning go help people follow me. It means introducing them to Jesus for the first time. Person, Jesus, Jesus, person have a relationship, and then helping that person grow in that relationship. So we say it that way, that our mission is to expand the kingdom of God in our lives, meaning we don't just become saved and then that's the end. Yay, we get our fire insurance. But we become saved and, and we give more and more of ourselves to Jesus in our life. He gets more and more control of us, more and more submission, which leads to the abundant life that God has for us. But then we take that to others. And that's our mission as a church, to take that to others, to introduce them to Jesus. So with that in mind, I want you to think, and if you're a note taker, maybe write down a couple things. Write down two or three top priorities of the church. What, what should be our top priorities? Think about it. Maybe write it down. I might ask somebody to share what they wrote. Are you writing something down? Yeah. Good for you. This isn't a test, but it is. And I'm curious, a couple people, what did you write down? What, is, what should be some of our top priorities as a church? Anybody? Over here. Listen to God for his instruction. Ooh, see, Linda is a prayer warrior. So she says, listen to God for his instruction. She is absolutely right. If we're not listening and following, I mean, there's no point in doing all this. What else? Share the gospel. Absolutely. One of our top priorities should be to share the gospel. Absolutely. Change your world. Love our neighbors. Absolutely. These are all great things. What about unity? Sounds a little weird. If our mission is to go out and reach people, what if one of our top priorities is actually one another? Unity. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians, so please turn to 1 Corinthians. Uh, if you are new to the Bible, uh, that's great. The table of contents is your friend. Look it up. It's near the front, 1 Corinthians. It'll give you the page number. Um, and go to 1 Corinthians. Here's the thing about this church in Corinth. Paul, the Apostle Paul, planted this church. It had been around for about six years, and now Paul is writing a letter to this six-year-old church. Uh, 1 Corinthians could maybe be retitled, How Not to Do Church, or, or you know, Church Done Wrong for Dummies. I, I mean, this church, they had all kinds of problems. And Paul is writing to them because they had written a letter to Paul. He had planted the church, and he had moved on to plant other ones. They wrote him a letter going, we've got some questions, this, 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 this. And they had some serious issues, and Paul is answering their letter with this letter, but he also addresses some other things that weren't written in the letter, but this church has issues. Here's a couple of them. They were getting together to do the Lord's Supper, which we're doing later, communion, and they, they had more kind of a house church thing, and they'd go get together, but they were, 
the rich were going first and eating all the food and then getting drunk. Uh, and then they'd be doing the Lord's Supper. You know, I mean, that's kind of a, a problem. Um, and then there was a guy in their church who was having a relationship with his stepmother uh, and the church was saying nothing about it. There were those within the church taking each other to court, battling over whatever it is, uh, and, and taking their fights out into public. This church had issues. And Paul, the first thing he addresses in his letter to them is unity. Now, they didn't ask about unity. He had heard about it. He had heard about it from some people in that area. And so he, he didn't address the sexual issues because there was more than just that one. He didn't address first, they're getting drunk. The first thing he addresses after saying, hey, love you, I'm praying for you, let's deal with this unity thing. He talks about unity. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10, we're going to go through 17. It says this, I appeal to you, brothers, and that refers to sisters also, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, which by the way, that's Peter, the apostle Peter, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. <laughs> kind of funny. He's real. <laughs> For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power." So they had, I mean, this is one of their divisions that he's addressed. They had other divisions, and you can see that as you read through 1 Corinthians. But here's the thing that's really dividing them, is they were choosing a leader, a teacher that they liked, they preferred, and kind of getting into a camp around that one, saying, we're going to follow this one, but not these other ones. We like this one. So some were choosing Paul, who was the one writing this letter, who was their church planter. Uh, he was their, their first. He converted a lot of them, or God did, using him. So he had planted the church and then moved on. Some of them were saying, we, we like the originator, the main guy. You know, we started coming to church and we loved the way he spoke and we loved the way he related to us. And then he moved on and Apollos came. And Apollos was also a, a pastor, a friend of Paul's. They loved each other. Apollos was eloquent. He was a very gifted communicator, a gifted speaker. You know, and, and maybe you've checked, you know, YouTube and said, there are some people, some pastors who are just eloquent speakers and God has gifted them. Apollos was one of those. He could speak. And so people loved to listen to him because, you know, he'd keep their attention. He could communicate. He could go deep. He's, you know, and some people were like, you know, Paul was fine, but it's all about Apollos. Apollos is better than Paul. So we're in his camp. And then these over here, no, we're still with Paul and, and they're divided. And then some, well, we're about Peter, Cephas. We're about Peter. Well, Peter was you know, one of Jesus's closest friends, you know, Peter, Peter was, was the, he had foot and mouth disease where he would always say the wrong thing. And, you know, I mean, he would say the right thing and then he'd say the wrong thing and Jesus would get on his case. But anyway, he was really close to Jesus. 
And Jesus really set him as the very first leader of the church. He didn't lead it for all that long uh, in Jerusalem. Actually, Jesus' half-brother James became the ruler fairly quick. Not ruler, leader of the church there in Jerusalem. But so some were choosing Peter. I mean, wouldn't you? Peter was an eyewitness to Jesus' death, resurrection, walked with him for three years. If anybody knows what they're talking about, it's Peter. Some were saying Jesus. Some were saying, it's not, no, nah, we don't care for Paul or Paulus or Peter. We follow Jesus alone. These would be like our modern day red letter Christians. Maybe you've heard of that. They're the people that reject basically the rest of scripture except for the red letter. Sometimes your Bible will be printed and every word that Jesus says is in red. So they claim to be red letter Christians. We only care about what Jesus said, not Paul, because Paul's not Jesus. So this actually still happens today. So here they're divided over these things. Now, this is their issue. We're going to talk about other issues that can come in. And his principle is about unity, not just theirs, although we're going to talk about that and we can deal with that as well. We can struggle with that. But he, he handles this in a couple ways. He addresses it positively and negatively. Positively, he says his commandment, he says this, I want you to agree. I want you to be united. I want you to have the same mind and judgment. That's kind of the positive way of saying it. And then he addresses the negative, and he, and he says there should be no divisions or schisms among you. That's kind of the negative side, side of it. No divisions, and the core, I've heard you've been quarreling. Cut out the quarreling, so stop fighting, stop having divisions, and do these things, the positive and the negative. Now, look back, if you would, at this passage. Verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, so he's writing in, in the authority of Jesus. That's what it means by in the name of Jesus. Like this is his authority. He's given in his name. I'm bringing this to you. That's why Paul could do that. He was an apostle. He was called. He was powered by the Holy Spirit. He wrote scripture. Uh, his words are authoritative. And he says that all of you agree. Literally, that means speak the same thing. That there be no divisions. That you be united in the same mind and same judgment. At first glance, does that make you itch a little bit? That sounds like uniformity, doesn't it? That sounds a little bit like we should all be the same thing, say the same thing, be united in judgment. That It sounds like it's uniformity, and maybe you've experienced that in church before, where it's here is our, here's what maturity looks like, and we should all look exactly like this. And, and maturity is defined in Scripture. But let me just say it's not talking about uniformity. And the reason why is you read later in the book of 1 Corinthians and the rest of Scripture. By the way, anything you read, compare it with the rest of Scripture. Scripture doesn't disagree with itself. So he's not talking about uniformity because later in this book, he'll talk about the gifts given to the church, spiritual gifts, and the diversity that we have among us and how that's a God-given diversity. We need different people. We need the organized people. We need the people like me that aren't organized but have some other gifts. You know, we need the administrators. Uh, we, we, need all the, we need the evangelists, although they're crazy. We need, but, but you see how you get an evangelist and then you, you get some organized administrative person. That, sometimes that's going to be a tough combination. But we need all these pieces. And so it's not uniformity, but it's unity. It's unity in the midst of diversity. That's what he's talking about. So what does he mean when he, mean when he says agree, speak the same thing, have the same judgment? What it looks like he's saying is really we need to stand on the foundational things that are true. We need to be committed to the true gospel as laid out in scripture and to one another. 
And the rest we can work on, I mean, we can talk about, we can wrestle with, we can, but we need to stand on what's true. So, for example, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus came, God in flesh. He was divine. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Amen. Jesus rose from the dead three days later. That is not up for debate. We are not going to find unity for the sake of unity and reject that. By the way, look at the American kind of liberal wing of the church. This is what they've done. They've said, we want to all get along, and so we're going to not talk about sin. We're not going to talk about Jesus' death. That, that's bad stuff. We don't want to talk about that. We're not going to talk about judgment, just the good things. And so they leave out the central core of the gospel of sin. Sin separates us from God. Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead, and we are now saved by faith in him. Not just saved, but abundant life through faith in him, not by works. So no one can boast. We stand on those things. So if somebody comes into the church and they say, I think everybody's saved no matter what. There is no hell. Guess what? We're going to disagree. And we're going to choose as a church. We're not, that's not saying the same thing. No, scripture is very clear. There is a heaven. There is a hell. And salvation comes through Jesus' name. So we stand on that. And if someone disagrees with that, we're not going to just, okay, we're going to deal with that. So we stand on the firm things now. We can get to things like eschatology, which is the study of end times, the book of Revelation. When is Jesus coming back? Before the tribulation? After? Is there a millennium? All that? Oh. <laughs> you know what? I've got opinions, and they're right. But, um, <laughs> but no, they probably aren't. I, I, you know, I mean, there, there's those secondary things that we can study, but it's really cool because we can land on Jesus is coming back. We have to agree on that. We don't know when, we agree on that, and until then, we're about his business, and when he comes back, it's going to be awesome. There you go. So that's kind of the idea, that we say this, that we agree on what's central, but then we're also committed to one another as we move forward. As a church, we are to be committed to the foundational truths of the gospel and to one another. You need both, and you, they're both important, and you can't reject one and accept, you need both. Correct doctrine, biblically, on the basic things, on the foundational things, and one another. So their issue was they were divided over their leaders. They were, they were divided over who they thought was best. Does that exist today? I, I'll tell you, this is one of the reasons I didn't really want to be a pastor. Because, they, I mean, a lot of times you'll talk to somebody, hey, where do you go to church? Oh, I go to church with so, and they'll name their pastor. We have this tendency to want to latch on to, to people, and, and that's not all bad. I, you know, I get some of that, but is that pastor the authority? And, and here's where it gets wrong is when, when we think whatever that person says is always true no matter what. So whenever I'm teaching something, you need to compare it to Scripture. This is the authority. I'm not the authority. This is the authority. So when I walk out and I get hit by a bus, somebody else steps up here and we continue on together because it's not about a leader it's about scripture. And, and they were getting stuck on the leader. You know, we, in our day and age, uh, with internet and, you know, the world has become very small, people now can latch on to a, a preacher, a teacher from Texas or Alabama or whatever. And I'll hear this from people. They, they quote the same person over, you know, they, they choose somebody, they read all their books, they watch all their sermons, they listen to their podcasts. That person becomes their authority. 
Again, it's not bad to do that. We are, it's awesome that we have such great, easy access to wonderful biblical teachers from around the country, around the world. But is one person becoming our authority? That's what they were doing. One person and rejecting the rest. I came across, across this quote I thought was great. It says, we pastors are all nobodies trying to tell everybody about somebody that can save anybody. <laughs> pastors are all nobodies trying to tell everybody about somebody that can save anybody. That's what Paul said in different words. I mean, look at what Paul says in these verses. Uh, and he refers to himself. By the way, these leaders, they weren't getting a crowd under themselves saying we're better. The leaders weren't doing that. The people were doing that. And Paul, in, for the sake of unity, he doesn't, talk, he doesn't bash Apollos or, or Peter at all. He, he bashes himself a little bit. He says, you who are following me, you ought to think about what you're doing. Who am I? Verse 13, was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Then he goes on saying, I didn't baptize many of you. I don't remember how many I did. But, but I, I wasn't killed for you. I wasn't sacrificed. I, I, you can't be baptized in my name and find salvation. It's all about Jesus. And so Paul, he, he's deflecting from himself, those who were choosing him, and pointing to Jesus. And Peter would have done the same thing. And Apollos would have done the same thing. But we're pointing to Jesus. Again, pastors are all nobodies trying to tell everybody about somebody that can save anybody. Now, preferences are realistic, and that's okay. But a preference is not the same as, as, as you know, putting somebody as your head. Paul shared with me that somebody came up to him after last time he taught, and they're like, we love Derek, but we love it when you teach. You know, I, I love that. I think that's great. And it's okay to prefer other, other pastors and other teachers. You know, we're blessed here that at the moment we have, we have four men that kind of fit in and, and teach at times. We have Preston and Paul and, and Alex. And we're blessed in that we're all different and we're all unique. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of churches that don't even have that many that can take this spot and do such a great job. We are extremely, extremely blessed. And it's okay to have preferences. You know, I prefer Preston over me. <laughs> I, I, I learn so much when he teaches. Now, I mean, and all the others too, I, I love it. But there's a difference between a preference and then submitting you know, to the whole and being part of the whole and choosing somebody that you're going to follow and creating these divisions. And that's what he talks about here. Divisions. That's verse 10 where he starts it out. He says, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you. And he goes on in verse 11. He says, it's been reported, I've heard that you are quarreling. A division is a, a schism or a tear, you know, a, a piece of paper and you tear it in half. That's what a schism. Camps is maybe the way we would say it these days. In churches, maybe you've seen this, churches can get camps. And, and there's the camp over here of, of the people that have been in the, at the church for decades. And because they've been there so long, they think they have certain uh, rights that others don't have and they have their camp they get to choose the carpet color they get to choose the drape i mean churches have been divided over carpets seriously uh, churches have been divided over grilled chicken um but so we get these camps and even within the church a lot of times those camps kind of can fit under a person or a couple people or an idea that they want to see happen and that's what he's talking about no divisions no schisms no camps against now we have 
outpost groups here, small groups, where we get into groups. And, and you know what? We're going to get along with certain people more than others. And that's okay. But it's not, we are all the same here and we're better than that group. That's what he's talking about. So this is in your notes. We are to adamantly avoid teaming up against one another over secondary issues. Now, look at their situation. These four different camps, was there one that you would look at and go, I think that one's right? Paul, Apollos, Cephas, no, we follow Jesus. At first glance, you're like, well, those, those ones are the right. Of course we follow Jesus. But Paul is talking about it as if that's not okay. It was, is Christ divided? This group was claiming Jesus and rejecting the others. God had given Peter and Paul and Apollos gifted teachers and leaders in different... He had given them to the church in, in Ephesians. In Ephesians 4, we see that leaders are actually gifts to the church. Gifted men and women are given to the church for the sake of the church. These were rejecting them, saying Jesus alone. Their idea was basically, we don't need the church or other teachers. We're super spiritual in and of ourselves. We'll do our own thing. And they, according to what Paul is saying, they weren't following Jesus. They were claiming Jesus alone, but they weren't actually following him because they were rejecting those that God had given to the church. And they were claiming this kind of arrogant, super spiritual position. This exists now too. I remember back when I was a youth pastor, about a decade ago or so, uh, and, a, and a father called for a meeting because his daughter started coming to, to our youth group, and he wanted to, to vet me and find out what we taught and our, was our theology and all that, but he didn't want to be part of any church because he was above all that. He knew better than anybody else what the Bible said. He didn't need community, you know, but he was in a position to judge all the other communities, you know, and it was kind of one of those, you're missing something kind of central. You're claiming this authority, but you're rejecting the central teaching in the church is unity. We're actually supposed to be in relationships. I mean, you guys all know that because you're here. But we're actually called to do this together. You know, I'm super excited for where we are as a church. You know, I shared this last week, but I want to share it again. But that, you know, we planted in Minden. We, we felt prayerfully, you know, asking God to lead last September that we, we did what God asked us to do. We were there for nine months or so, and God did great things there. New people stepped up and led and took response. It was awesome. And then we created all this space here, and, and you all came and filled it up, and God did really neat things. Well, well then it, it came to this, you know, a couple months ago, and we started thinking, well, we think God might be leading us to come back together. And it's like, wow, we invested so much, and people have done so much work there, and God is doing, you know, and so it was one of those, we, we as leaders, the elders, kind of wrestled with that. But unanimously came to the decision, no, the best thing for our mission and for us as a church and our unity is to be back together for the next season. As I shared that with people, and by people, I'm just talking about just people, but those of you who invested down there, your hearts were there, I had a very consistent response. And it was, I'm sad. You know, I have a sense of loss, but I'm excited for what God is doing. I believe in, in this church, you know, as a whole, that we're, we're trying to follow where God wants. And the next thing is probably going to be cool. So I, wherever we're going, I want to be part of it. That was so humbling for me to hear. We are so blessed right now in our unity, but we're talking about this now as we come back together because guess what? If we're united and united on mission, God is going to do great things, which means the enemy is going to try and get in. Just watch for it because we are being effective. 
God is being effective in and through you, <laughs> which means the enemy is going to come in and try and stop that. And one of his best ways is to throw a wrench in our relationships. I think we're going to have a class this summer that might help with that. Um, but it fits really well because we need good relationships with one another if we're going to carry out our main mission. I mean, if we, if we can't have unity, we have nothing to offer the world. We don't. You know, I've used this illustration before, but it's like a bald man trying to sh sell you hair cream that grows back hair and they swear by it. A, a church without unity has nothing to offer. So the greatest thing that the enemy can do is come in and take out our unity. So here, these people were divided over who they were choosing. Some were choosing Christ. Paul says, no, Christ is not divided. We can accept these teachers, you know, accept what they say. You, you can have preferences, but we're following Jesus overall, and we're blessed to have these, these different leaders. Now, in our day and age, that doesn't mean you follow any and every leader. Again, with internet, with all this, it doesn't mean you follow anybody and everybody. It means you check. You check what God says in Scripture. We're to be committed to one another and to the mission. That's when God does great things when we're committed to one another and to the mission. But let me say this. Be prepared to disagree. Because we're different. We are different. And so we know we're going to have confrontations. We're going to have disagreements. And that's actually okay. That's actually okay. It's healthy. This is in your notes. I thought this was important to put in. It's healthy to disagree and move toward a solution. But there's no place for fighting within a church. There's no place for quarreling. Now, what I mean, and I like to say it this way, is you know, imagine you get in a car with people wanting to go to Disneyland. Well, you get in the car, and you want to head towards... You can debate the best way to get there. You know what I mean? Well, we need to go up through Reno and take the 80 over to the... No, that's a horrible way. You know, what do you think? We need to go down on the, the 375 or whatever. You know, we can debate over how to get there with a humble spirit, with a submissive spirit of... Well, the rest would rather go that way. We're still going to Disneyland. It's going to take 20 minutes longer, but I'm going anyway. I mean, but with a heart of we're committed to one another. Now, you get in the car. We're like, we're going to Disneyland. Everybody we're debating where to go. And we're, I want to go to Six Flags. We're, uh, we're going to Disneyland. No, let's talk about Six. We already, we're going to Disney. That person needs to get in a different car. <laughs> They're in the wrong car. To a certain extent, that's how we are as a church. God has called us to go somewhere together. And if we don't want to go where God has called us, and for us, that's unity and mission. You know, God has called us to multiply. That's why we, we did the plant and we came back. We're going to do it again at some point. You know, but, but if, if you don't want to be involved in, in God's mission, you really just want to sit and enjoy a funny sermon and great music, this might not be the, the place because you might feel this itch here of, of me talking all the time of being involved, being involved in relationship, being involved on mission. If you don't want to share your faith with anybody ever, this, this might not be the right car. Because guess what? We think our primary mission, why we're still here, is to share the gospel, to spread the gospel. So we can debate, though, on, on the best way to get there. And in our, we have leadership covenants. So elders and staff, we have leadership covenants that we sign. And one of them is this. The third one is this. We will adamantly debate and argue for what we think is best, for whatever it is. But when a decision has been made, we all support it as if it was our own. That's unity. That's unity. Because we'll have different opinions, and then we'll argue about it in, in a loving way, 
and then we'll make a decision and go, okay, that wasn't what I wanted, but now when I leave the room, I'm, I'm going to talk as if that was my idea. I, I'm going to talk. I said, that's unity, and God will do great things through a church united. Standing on the central truths of the gospel, we will not shake on those. Moving forward in his mission and doing it together. How cool is that? Now, why? Because this church had some serious things going on. Why did he address unity first? Jesus said this, They will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. Read 1 John, all about love. The book of John, all about love. If we're growing in Christ, we're going to grow in our love for one another. Without us being united in love, we cannot carry out our mission. Without us being united in love, we cannot carry out our mission. Now, their issue was leaders. I don't think we have that issue, and I hope we never will. But in the American church, what I have seen divide more than anything else is theology. Theology, meaning standing on some secondary doctrine, creates the most division that I've seen in my life in the church. It can be on eschatology, end time stuff. But the biggest, I know of five churches who have been split over Reformed theology versus Arminian, Calvin versus Arminian, the idea of do we have free will, what's our free will, and is God sovereign? That is the one thing that has divided, from what I've seen in the past 20 years, more churches than anything else are divided over that issue, a secondary issue. I had somebody here in this church, a good friend, who was just absorbed with this new Reformed theology thing, and he, and he wanted to recruit others to his camp of theology. You know, mine is right, yours is wrong, and it goes to a certain extent where I'm right and you're wrong, and you're going to hell because you're so wrong. And it's a secondary issue. And so he and I got together and we were talking. And I said, do you spend more time reading the Bible and time with Jesus or in reading books by these certain theologians and listening to their podcasts? And he was like, that's a really good point. <laughs> I said, these things can be great. Theology is awesome. But if you're doing this instead of spending time with Jesus, you're going to go off very quickly. If you're doing that more than spending time in the word, you're going to go off. We focus on the foundational things and unity with one another. God will do great things through his church committed to him, his mission, and one another. Uh, there's a book back here. I think Linda brought this in. The Power of Together. Did you bring this book? I picked it up back there looking at it. I haven't read this book, and I start flipping through. This is awesome. <laughs> If you need something to read, go grab this book, or there's other groups on books on prayer. Check these out. But in this, I started reading, and, and this spoke straight to what we were talking about. There's a man who, who came into his office who had been to his church a couple times and basically said, your church is full of immature believers. The pastor said, well, why do you believe that? It's like, well, your sermons are too shallow, and they're not biblically literate. They need to know the Greek and the Hebrew and all this stuff and whatever, you know, and, and I'm, a, I'm a teacher, and so you need me to come in and teach your people. And he starts interviewing it and finding out he's gone from church to church to church because everywhere he goes, he's got the answers and everybody needs to listen to him. And the pastor asked him, kind of interesting, I think they're very much in line with where our heart is. The pastor asked him, have you built any relationships with anybody in our church yet? He said, we're really focused on, on groups. Have you gotten part of a home group yet? He's like, no, I don't need that. He's like, there's a problem there. 
Theology is great, but that apart from unity and community is a big problem. Again, at the moment, we're blessed. And I think we're extremely blessed because God is doing some things in our valley, not just through our church, but God is using our church and using you. You know, and if you're wondering, you know, is this a, a place to be committed to unite on mission? I encourage you grab these. They're free. There's some on the back uh, shelf or on the, on the desk there. Uh, but we wrote this. This is what we believe God has called the church to and us specifically to. And if you haven't read, maybe you've been here a couple years and you haven't read one, read it. Because you'll either read it and go, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I got to be part of this. Or you'll go, this isn't the place for me. That's too scary. Um, and that's okay. That's okay. As, however it is that God leads us. So again, here's our big idea today. God will do great things through his church committed to him, his mission, and to one another. So look at your own heart. Are you committed to those three things? Christ in a growing relationship? Are you committed to relationships with others within the church and maintaining unity at all costs, not rejecting the firm truths of scripture, but unity, humbly maintaining unity while pursuing his mission? We're going to move to our time of worship, and we're going to take communion. Uh, so if the worship team wants to come on up, we're going to move into our time of response. And, and here's what's fun about what I believe is fun. Oh, sorry. <laughs> about how we, how we do the, the worship here is this is our time for you to respond to what God is doing in your heart. The greatest thing that can happen in you is that you meet with God. Not that you think the sermon was great. Not that you think the music is great or you enjoy the, the electric guitar, the awesome drum. What, the greatest thing that can happen with you is that you experience Jesus today. 